Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Oh, s- struggling, James. I'm struggling. Why are you struggling, Ben? You made me wake up at, I, at 7 a.m. to I record this, this podcast. Oh, my gosh. I made you. See, it's funny how... You're, 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 you're my, my tone loke voice, as my, <laughs> my, my friends in college used to call uh, it's funny how people's recollection of things changes in, in early in the morning. Because last night I remember, oh my gosh, James, can we record this some other time? I'm like, Ben, sure. How about tomorrow? He's like, tomorrow morning would be great. Okay, Ben, I'll do tomorrow morning then. And now uh, I made you wake up. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I had game night. I had to get, I had to get my day update done. Uh, oh, yep. How'd it go? It went good. I dominated. Dominated. The, dominated. Domi- that's what I like to hear. Dominated. Yeah. We have a uh, we have a new sponsor today. We do. Um, yes, and which is a very interesting one. They are, and so support for this episode of Exponent comes from Wonder Capital. W-U-N-D-R. Yeah. W-O-N-D-R. They are the leading online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. Wonder's solar investment funds allow you to earn up to 11% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Investing in Wonder Capital's solar fund diversifies your exposure to bond, stock, and commodity markets fluctuations. This is because Wonder's solar funds are backed by strong solar projects, not the market. Thousands of users have already taken advantage of Wonder's platform. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com slash exponent. That's Wonder with a U. Invest in Wonder Capital Solar Funds. Do well and do good. Speaking of energy, um, yeah, I, I, have no, I have no idea what to say. Oh my segue, gosh, so you were about out. to, I was like, I was about to, that's an impressive segue. Uh, speaking of energy, perhaps another sip of that coffee, Ben. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it hasn't quite kicked in yet, so it would, it would, about about you know a quarter through this podcast when we're, I suddenly start when I get fired up. We're bracing ourselves. Yes, exactly. So um, I, I wrote I, I wrote about something this week that I, we've definitely talked about on Exponent, mm. and I realized that it's something we've talked about more on Exponent than I think I've I've actually written about at least explicitly on on Stratechery. I've definitely talked around it for for quite a while now. And that's this idea. Um, it's really uh, one thing that I, I was really striking was or a response that always comes up when when Twitter's talked about. We talked mm. about Twitter a couple weeks ago. Is people like, don't compare Twitter to Facebook. Don't compare Twitter to Facebook. It's a different service. Twitter needs to stop being trying to be like Facebook. Um, leaving aside the fact that I wouldn't mind if Twitter were more like Facebook, particularly when it comes to like commenting and like th- having a separate separate threads per, mm. per, per topic. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the the problem is at the end of the day, and I use this in, in my piece. You know, there's the old adage like uh, in an advertising supported services, users aren't aren't what is it? Users are the product, not the not the uh, not the customers. Yeah. Uh, but that means that the customer is the advertiser, and given that Twitter is an advertising based service, like from an advertiser's perspective, they have to be compared to Facebook, um, as do every other advertising. Sp- Based service and 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 Facebook and Google and everyone else like that, they are competitors from that perspective. And how and where the product manifests itself is 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 a different question. I mean, Facebook and Google and Pinterest and uh, Yahoo and uh, Verizon AOL and all the programmatic networks like they're mm. all competing for the same bucket of money. Uh, you know, by and large. Yeah. 
I, I think it's a it's it's a really good point to make, and it's very easy to forget this because you use these services uh, and you use them. Uh, you, you, you intuitively build up a user perspective, but it's worth remembering that a, a, basically how these things are often judged, whether they're successful or not, is how they perform financially. Like that's a very key metric of success. These are often public companies or they've taken venture funding and the path is to go public, to to be profitable, whatever. And, and that is driven, yes, by user engagement, but fundamentally that that's also driven by advertising dollars. And so thinking about it from they are exactly comparable based on how advertisers view them and your point around how they advertisers have a limited amount of time is a good one. Right. And so one one thing, one just kind of meta point to make here, I think it's a point to 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 talk about more broadly. We've talked about this a ton, so I don't think we need to spend too much mm. time on, on this, on the, the specific Facebook, Twitter angle in this episode, but is previously um, when new types of advertising have, have come along, uh, mm. they haven't been additive to the market per se. I mean, we, we've talked about and, and, you know, the fact that advertising is a relatively stable amount of, of, of GDP in the U S and it is in other countries as well, but usually a different percentage. Um, but is, is they've been naturally limited. Like, so TV is a great example in that TV at the end of the day, because it's linear programmed, there's just only so many, it's limited by time. Mm. Like there's only so many, opportunities to advertise on TV and it costs more to produce a TV commercial, that sort of stuff. And the end of the day is uh, the TV and radio definitely took advertising away from like newspapers and print and and magazines and things like that. Mm. But the amount they could take was kind of naturally limited by, by virtue of the medium that they were and the cost it took, cost it took to produce it. Um, and so it's tempting to think of digital, just to kind of put it on top of that. But the the whole th- issue with Facebook having, you know, well over a billion daily active users, a number that's still growing up, and 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 the same thing with Google, uh, is that their inventory is so much greater, and the and getting all the effects we've talked about the where where they have better targeting they have mm-hmm. better inventory and it, it just makes it why would you even bother why would you even bother going somewhere else when they have what what can serve you now obviously i'm making broader trend observations mm-hmm. i'm not saying they're going to get every single dollar but the the trends and the capacity are just on a exponentially greater scale than something like like tv or radio ever were Right. I, I, I mean, I, again, I, you're right. We've covered, we've covered part of this previously. I think that, that, that it, it diverges into our, our old analogy of the, the rainforest where you have these incredibly tall trees which attract massive amounts of users and then you have interesting things on the rainforest floor that are highly targeted. So the example that has always come up is if you're creating content around model railroad sites and uh, model railroad tracks and you have more users of those kinds of more users like that with that interest than anybody else, then you're going to attract advertisers because of that niche. The, the struggle comes when you're in between. And I, I think that's, I, that's, 
that's the point around Twitter here. It, it's neither it's neither here nor there. It's kind of in between. Now it, it does have a, a few things. Like there is there are some very deep uh, there's some very deep data on user interests and what people are clicking on and what they're engaging in and what they're talking about. But again, like advertisers have a limited amount of time, and if they, if Facebook has a billion users, then maybe that's just enough. And you know, focus on doing better ads as opposed to like, oh, maybe we'll put it on Twitter too. Right, right, exactly. And arguably, Facebook knows more about what people are interested in now anyway. Mm, it's true. Um, and yeah, I think that the the broader point, and this is something that I, I mean, uh, most of the article was about was about advertising specifically and, and yeah I, I like i like you tying it back to the jungle thing these like i mean someone tweeted me like oh do you have ads on exponent you think you say that's going to go to go to face well i mean maybe it will i mean i'll, I'll survive but the point isn't to say that I, I i oh i get i get this feedback all the time like someone will f- pick out some like very very distinct example and say that proves the entire thesis wrong no I, i'm talking about just broader the broader trend. Hmm. I mean, you just again, you just you look at you look at the market. You look at companies like LinkedIn getting just hammered in the market. Like LinkedIn's core product is and core business is fine. It continues hmm. to grow, which is serving recruiters. But they were they had a huge you know multiple and a, a huge premium to their earnings because of the anticipation of future growth opportunities. And one of the big parts of their potential future growth opportunities was the idea that they could also do advertising. And they have all this interesting data about people, self-provided mm. data. And and they started a, a network to to do advertising um, outside outside of LinkedIn uh, called, called Lead Accelerator. And then they, they, they shut that down. And their advertising growth was sharply down year over year. Mm. And and what's what's the problem? The problem is basically Facebook is eating their lunch. Like people are realizing, why should I? LinkedIn's product isn't mm. as good. The interface isn't as good. You can't reach the people as well as you can. The targeting isn't good. The tracking isn't as good. I could spend the same dollars on Facebook and get better results. <laughs> I mean, like that's and Facebook has the capacity to handle it. And and this is Facebook's doing so much around measuring. You know, people are like, oh, Facebook ads are more expensive, right? But this is the p- big thing about digital and all the stuff we've talked about, like the ability to track it so effectively, mm. not just online, but also offline. If you can prove the dollars will work, mm. right? It doesn't like it's all about, it's not about the, the absolute dollar that you're spending. It's about the return you're getting on your dollar spent. Yeah. I, I, I have this conversation a bit with folks and what they tend to forget is ROI is a, an equation with a numerator and a denominator. And, you care about both. You don't just care about reducing the spend. You care about increasing increasing the amount you get back. Um, right. Well, and, not just that, but you also worry about and, – and on the flip side, you worry about decreasing the time you spend to do it. Right, because that's also part of the investment. And time yep. you spend doing that is time taken away from other things. I mean, another example of this, again, people – Picking, picking on this point to it, 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 to pick on this point to say that it's going to be absolutist. I'm sure there are people still advertising on Bing. I, uh, if I was, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that for a majority of people that that putting their ads up on Bing is the best use of time, just because it's got such a small population. Now there might be for some people, uh, it might make sense. I'm not saying in those circumstances 
does it not make sense? But I think for most most folks, like focusing on Google, where a majority of the people are, like the more liquid market, where there are more users, you get a more accurate reflection of the price of acquisition is probably the better investment of time. Well, it, it actually, it's interesting you mentioned Bing, though, because uh, which, by the way, is now profitable, um, uh, finally. Uh, it, what's interesting about that, though, and why why they might be profitable and why some companies you know will be okay mm. is they are focused on direct response marketing and they, like the search is the best example of this where you type in something that you want and then you there's a link right there you want it like mm. and it's super powerful like if you type in life insurance you're probably pretty darn interested in buying life insurance and mm. that's really a valuable thing to get that customer and so that like these are some of the highest rates for example things like insurance mm. and uh travel uh, and, or, and like lawyers, like if you're searching for a lawyer, like you're probably about to drop a bunch of money. Mm. Um, and those, uh, those are platforms that, that focus on that. And this is something for, for, for Twitter to think about, uh, platforms that focus on direct response, just because the, in that case, the ROI is so much easier to measure. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, that that's a place that niche sites can, I think, uh, you can be subscale and, and and succeed with with direct response. Yeah, you're about to make an arbitrage uh, argument, or you're making an arbitrage argument because most people don't pay attention. If you only have a small amount to invest, you can spend that on Google, or you can spend it on Bing. And because there are fewer advertisers seeking Bing's inventory, you actually get a better price. And because it's direct response, the fact that someone's clicking on it actually ends up leading to uh, leading to a sale or leading to a conversion. You can measure it and you can actually compare the two. Right, exactly. It's a compare, right, and so you can prove out it's actually worth my time to do this. Mm. So the, the 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 one the one point that I think is is interesting to to talk about, um, especially in the context of market slowing and talks talking about you know the the investment. Uh, uh, the investment climate getting chillier, like oh, I guess there's a bubble, blah blah blah. Mm. And uh, again, like to, I've never said that there's not going to be a slowdown in investment or that th- all that sort of stuff. What, what I think we've both said pretty consistently, this is very different than 1999. Mm. And I think an example is, uh, or because I, I look at things big picture, I look at things in trends. So I tend to look at things in in aggregate. Mm. And and my point has always been, well, I have a hard time saying that there's a bubble and you would, you could take like the list of unicorns and being like if like 3 of these succeed like the entire cohort is going to be one of the best investments you could have made even if all the other ones go go mm. go mm-hmm. out of business or, or or don't succeed and like in this case if you look at um all the consumer ad supported companies that are public I, I didn't do all of them. I did, only did LinkedIn and, and and like Yahoo and Twitter and Yelp because those are the ones that I, that, I, that I talked about in this article. But it, if you put them in a basket along with Google and Facebook, the basket is fine. The basket's doing well. The basket's gonna go, probably going up if you throw Snapchat in there um, because uh, there is this secular shift of advertising from online to digital. And, and so broadly speaking, there's a benefit. So if – the fact that LinkedIn is struggling or Yelp is struggling or Yahoo is practically worthless or Twitter is struggling, does that mean there's a bubble? Um, no, I, 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 I don't think so. It's it's almost like this uh, – but there is a bifurcation this that is 
that's the implication of all the winner take all stuff we've been talking about for ever since this this podcast started. It's funny you say that you're you're um you you look at trends and you look at overall and I I think I think you sell yourself short by saying that. I think that the people that are saying there's a bubble, they're looking at they're looking at these things at too high a level, and they're not getting down enough in the detail to understand that there isn't like uh, there isn't one of these or, or none of these unicorns look the same. There's there is this bifurcation that you're talking about. There are companies as a result of the the winner takes all type effects that are occurring in these markets there are companies that are in the same market doing wildly different but the the uh, notion of putting them in a basket and seeing how uh, the basket performs in each of these industries and how the basket's doing fine and and even putting aside the um, even putting aside the market results because you can't like in the short run it's a in the short run it's a voting machine in the long run it's a weighing machine but just looking at the profitability of these companies and where you think they're going to go that this argument makes total sense this isn't this isn't a bubble there are there are companies that are overvalued and there are companies that are doing just fine and in fact better than just fine there are companies that are sucking them like a google and i mean google's pulled all this money out of newspapers um, amongst other things facebook looks poised to to pull it all out of television i mean i think they are super sound bets the fact that some of these other companies can't compete because of the winner-takes-all effects does not justify calling the whole thing a bubble. Right. And I think um, – well, I mean Uber, Uber is an example. Like, I mean Uber, exponent bingo. Um, <laughs> the uh, the there's, there's a lot of angst around investing, right? You know, we can't raise anymore, blah, blah, blah. Well, Uber just raised like this, this special vehicle. I think it was Morgan Stanley or some bank did, especially for Uber, basically saying like rich, high worth individuals can buy into this for Uber and they will get zero information. Like they get no financial information. It's like, do you want to invest in Uber at, at like a $70 billion valuation? Yes or no. <laughs> you know, you like put, drop is like a million dollar buy in. Um, and, and it's like people are doing it. Like, and, um, and, I I would probably do it too if I were a high worth individual, um, and I and I invest in individual stocks, which I don't. Um, but if that's like the the fact of the matter is, you know, because they are they seem poised to be the winner that takes it all. Uh, they're fine, and so and I think if you back up, you see, you know, there's an article in New York Times today about about the struggling startups like Postmates and DoorDash, and they're struggling with drivers, and they're. The problem with them is they're in the same market as Uber, right? Yet they're yes they're they're delivering food where Uber is delivering people, but in this case the 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 suppliers that they're it's it's the same thing as the advertising mm, type business. Mm. Like the on the user side it's different, but on the back side it's the same. And so but the problem is even if all these companies are out of business, if Instacart went out of business, if Doris went out of business, if um, Postman's out of business, if Lyft goes out of business, the the tech press and everyone is going to be standing on top sky high saying, bubble, we told you, blah, blah, blah. But if you back up and you consider the uh, th- this industry as a whole, if Uber succeeds as a going concern as a whole, it's going to be it's going to be a success. So it, it's I like mean, what's the, even- what's the phrase? Sorry. No, you go ahead. Even more than that, if these other companies fail, particularly Lyft, I think Uber's going to do even better, right? Right. No, exactly. What's what's the phrase that that um history doesn't repeat itself, it 
it echoes or, or there's some there's some phrase along those lines. And I, I think that applies here. And and that's I mean, that's the point that I've been trying to make all along it is I wrote it's not nineteen ninety nine like last year. Mm. Like I'm not saying that there's not gonna be uh uh struggles. I mean it's gonna it's gonna suck for all these companies that, that go out of business and I don't that sounds very very um mean um or insensitive. Mm. Uh, what do you stop snickering? It's kind. Of, it, no, I, I, you, it's it's not insensitive. It is going to suck, but that doesn't change the fact, right? Right. Well, well, it, it, it's like I mean, the thing with 1999 is is it was the widespread destruction of of wealth in in, in aggregate. Um, you know, the the entire sector was down everyone and, and lots of people lost, lost money and in part because it spread out into everyone could invest and it was going to all these sorts, sorts of things and frankly um you know but it was detached from fundamentals like there was there was no fundamental earnings growth or very few cases of fundamental earnings growth being attached to the valuations whereas and whereas here like th- these are companies that are making real money that are that Uber's taking over taxis and going to be coming into personal transportation. Facebook's going to take down television amongst other things. Google's taken down newspapers. There are there are real dollars attached to these winning companies. Now the fact that there are companies that are failing because they can't compete with these these uh, these uh, trees that are reaching the top of the rainforest that doesn't mean that the whole sector or the whole industry is detached or, or, or we're replicating 1999. It's, it's not the same. Yeah. And I think it, it's definitely a, a sort of uh, it's a perspective thing. Like if you're uh, it, it's, it, if you look at it from a, a number of like from a number of companies perspective, the majority of unicorns are not going to make it. Uh, and, and again, I'm not changing my, like I've said this very consistently, but, that doesn't mean that the whole unicorn phenomena was a was a bad bet, right? You don't no venture capital capitalist bets with the assumption that every company is going to mm. succeed because if you did that, you would be so conservative that you would uh, you would miss, one miss out on good companies and two you'd have to buy in at such terrible you know at such unfavorable valuations that you wouldn't make any money. Like you're making bets knowing that that a lot of them most of them are going to fail, but some of them are going to to win win very largely and we're just seeing i think the big difference is we're just seeing that at a, at a much at a much greater greater scale great, greater level but that doesn't change the underlying dynamics and i don't think there's any evidence that that if you again in aggregate as a basket if we end up being up um that is is is, is that a bubble the the other thing to to point out is I think a company like Lyft is super interesting because people know about it. It's aware. Mm. I think it's been pretty clear for a few years that that they're not going to that they're not going to make it. But on one hand, one, if you look at their investment, investors agree mm. because investors have been every round Lyft does, they're giving up like thirty percent of their company at a time, mm. right? Like and and whereas Uber is giving up like three percent of their company for like an equivalent amount of money. So one, like you can see it in the valuations, but two, like. I, I don't necessarily think those investors are dumb because what maybe something happens. Maybe Uber gets into legal trouble. The company was out of business. We're talking about a, a massive, massive market. And yes, they put that money in 
knowing it's probably not going to make it. But if it does, boom, suddenly they own 30% of like a massively successful thing. And this there's this idea of, of investing and in all sorts of things of betting. Like you, we'll talk about betting is a great example, which is the expected value of a bet. Right. right? Uh, it, it's it, you, you put some, you put money in and with knowing that there's a 60% chance that this is going to happen, 30%, and you figure out what's the expected value of the return. If the value is positive, you ought to do it. Now, that doesn't mean one individual bet or one individual investment won't make it. The idea is if you do an infinite number of investments, you will make your money back. And and obviously, it requires a lot of capital to do that, but mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's going to be a successful strategy. I mean, that's how probability and statistics yeah. work. Right. Uh, it's it's the the notion of holding a portfolio as opposed to taking one bet. There's a risk. There's a risk adjustment in the investment in Lyft, and I'm sure there's one that's made in Uber too. Like, yeah, it looks like it's going to win, but there's a possibility that they run into legal troubles, or there's there's a possibility that that someone comes along and buys all these tier two players or these non Uber players brings them all together and goes at them like that's a possibility there's these risks it's not it's not a guaranteed thing for any of them it's just less or more likely that one succeeds no totally and i think oh, well, here's an example of of the way of and, and, and it varies i mean i think a company like google even like google's google stock has has had a big run up and um people have asked me does that mean i don't believe in the peak google thing no that's i people didn't read peak google i didn't say google was doomed i said that peak means the peak of, of, of dominance and relevance. The whole point was um, my Microsoft was fine for – Microsoft tripled their revenue after, at, but post being peak. Uh, and uh, the whole point is I think Facebook is, is going to be more relevant, more dominant. Um, but anyhow, one of the reasons I think that, that Google is uh, – its it, it stock has gone up, a, a few different reasons. But one, one is the relevant – is just the recognition that they're – you know th- this idea they're they're going to be more dominant than than realized um because the market's in the market is so big but two they've with alphabet and by breaking out the different parts of the business and being much more clear about their finances that's that's worth money when it comes to valuation like they are worth more because they are more transparent about their business like you are you you trade at a discount when you're not transparent. That's just that's just the way it works. Google also trades at a discount because uh, there is no real investor control, right? The founders own can do whatever mm. they want. There's like it doesn't matter what investors say because of the way the structure's set up. Right, and they and that that is a premium that 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 is an impairment on 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 the stock. I don't think Google's going to undo that. But that is the case, and it's the same thing with 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 with, with Uber being private. Private investors are getting a uh, Uber would be worth more probably on the public markets, um, or I mean, w- once they're once they're a, a going concern because there's transparency because it's liquid, you can get out, right? It's worth mm. being able to get out. Uh, and there's all these sorts of things that 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 that, that impact that. Yeah, like the the Carl icons of the world are going to be less interested in a in a Google if they can't come in and break it up because they think they can have value. It affects the demand, and therefore those people aren't going to be interested. Not to say that the 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 rationales for them doing it aren't the right ones, but it is going to have a, an impact on supply and demand. It's interesting that you mentioned the uh, public private divide, though, because I there was an article that Mark Cuban wrote last week about how uh, how companies not going public, how the decimation of the IPO market has hurt the economy and worse. 
I, I have to tell you, Ben, occasionally things get me fired up and I every paragraph of this article managed to get me more and more incensed. It, 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 from, from the opening it, from the opening about how he talks about how he took audio uh, broadcast.com as audio net uh, public in 1995 and well, in, in 1998 and how this is a rationale for doing it and how there are all these motivations for entrepreneurs to go public and how it's not happening is destroying the economy I, I it, it like makes me want to go through paragraph by paragraph. But there was one in particular. Well, I, I, I was more. I, I, I found. I, I was amused. But we, you, I'll let you. I'll let you articulate your anger first. Well, I, there, there are there are points that he explains how it's it's doing damage to the economy. That that there is. He says that hundreds of billions of dollars from investors are tied up in private companies and returning nothing. The capital is dead money. I like the idea that the capital that is invested in Uber is dead money and is hurting the economy. Just seems to me to have he seems to be detached from reality it is the opposite of dead money like the money that is invested in that economy in that company is revolutionizing the transportation industry all around the world right now it's like he says it can't be reinvested anywhere that hurts our economy it's not liquid i grant you that but not being liquid is very very different from dead money um, and he goes on. There was one that just blew my mind, which was well. Just like I, I think, I think you, I think you're misinterpreting that specific point. Mm. In that he's not talking about the money that's invested in Uber being illiquid, which is I mean, it's, and it's a it's relative to the economy, a tiny amount, right? We're talking mm. in the ten, tens of billions, or maybe even less than that. Mm. Is it single digit? I don't know. It's not that much. He's talking about the. Uh, the valuation of of Uber, like if Uber went public today for you know, it's valued at like around seventy billion, but let's say, let's say say hundred billion, because it's an easy round number. He's talking about that hundred billion dollars uh, that is not that that's the money he's talking about the the unrealized gains, uh, not the money that's invested per se. But is that really uh, uh, unrealized? Uh, uh, unrealized gains really dead money? Um, well, I mean, I, I, well, the reason it doesn't make the reason it doesn't make sense is so. Say Uber goes public, and uh, you know the stock is, um, you know, all the Uber employees are, are rich, which I think he seems mostly concerned about Uber employees getting rich and buying Ferraris and stuff. So wait, let me let me get my say save that point because there's righteous anger coming about that as well. Well, I mean, the, the question is that where does that where does the money that those where where does that money uh, yeah, well, how much of the gains are realized? Well, one, uh, the in any IPO, it's not like the hundred billion dollars goes into the economy, right? The, uh, a, a company that IPOs only offers a fraction of its stock anyway, uh, and Uber would probably offer like ten percent of their stock or something. And and I guess the the in, in, the investors get their money back, but a lot of that money is just gonna go back into uh, back into other. Well, going to the company, it is going to go. It isn't going to other other investments. I mean, there is there is some money tied up here. I think the it's a bit. I guess the, my point is that that point's not necessarily completely invalid. It's a bit hyperbolic to say that it's having some dramatic impact on the economy. And it's and it's <laughs> the, the problem for me is the whole. I was just giggling the whole time because his entire premise was that uh, selling broadcast dot com for a, for a billion dollars in the 
middle of the dot com bubble was good for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I mean, and you were talking about the, the the destruction, the destruction wrought on society by by Uber not IPOing, uh, and this coming from a person who got rich on massive destruction on society wrought by the dot com. Well, bubble. which ties ni- nicely into one of the other points he makes, which is the dead money tied up in stock owned by anyone not in top management is one key reason that income inequality continues to get worse. He's basically making the case that because these companies aren't going public and the employees aren't getting rich, super rich, that income equalities income equality is getting worse. Now, taken in the context of your last point, where basically there was likely a large transfer of wealth from mum and pop investors into these dot-com companies that ended up crashing and, and Cuban and co ended up making off like bandits. Like, let, let's put that there. This idea that income equality is being substantially affected by whether companies go public and somehow if companies go public, the employees, the, the 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 extent to which employees get wealthy changes income inequality. Like I, I'd love to have a conversation with a typical Walmart employee and and ask them whether they feel like, as a result of their company being public, that they are now contributing to reducing income inequality. It just there are so many elements in this article that just got me so mad. Well, the, 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 here's here, – to take a meta point about what, what frustrates me about this – about a lot of this talk is um, like there was a, uh, there was a, a VC summit um, up front mm. summer or something and, and like Fred Wilson had like this rant about how, you know, uh, I believe he used some foul language about <laughs> about Uber and how they should be public and all this sort of stuff. Uh, it, it, like uh, spare me the VCs complaining about companies staying private. Mm. Because and it drives me up the wall that almost no one in tech points in the tech press points this out. Uh, the the people that are by far being the most hurt by companies staying private are not everyday Americans. They are the VCs, like Mark Cuban, like Fred Wilson, like the, and the reason is and and I understand their pain. Like it it, it it's difficult because their money's tied up. They're not being able to return it to their LPs. Mm. They're not able to reinvest it into other companies. I get it. It sucks for VCs. The whole Uber staying private for ages is bad for their especially their initial VCs. Um but but like what yeah. spare like First maybe world problems. maybe it's ba- well maybe it's bad for the economy, but I have a hard time listening to folks like Fred Wilson or, or Mark Cuban go on about it without a uh when th- it's clearly in their personal disinterest for this to be happening. Um and frankly, uh, all of you know, Fred Wilson has an amazing record as an investor, mm. but a lot of his very high profile investments are in the public markets. They're getting hammered, like, and probably wish they could be private. Right. I, I mean, the, these entrepreneurs, you have to assume they're acting rationally in behaving the way they're acting. And if entrepreneurialism is a driving force of the growth behind the economy, if these guys are able to raise this money and build these companies without needing the public markets, and in fact, you, you look at the way that the 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 Facebooks and the Googles are starting to hack their capital structures so there are less pressures from the public markets. And you see the success of companies like Ubers and Airbnbs remaining on the private markets. What, what is all this damage that's being done to our economy as a result of this? It just 
I, I am inherently skeptical about this, it, and it it feels to me a bit like um, I'm yeah, like what you ju- like what you just said. Like I'm being dam- I'm being damaged here, so I'm going to try and make an argument for the greater good to uh, that just so happens to 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 help me out. It, it and it's- well, two points. I'd say two points. Like, I mean, well, the other thing too is it, it, how I would much rather have these unicorns struggle and go out of business and their investors yes be hurt they- without it spreading into the wider public market. They're like, that bearing the, the risk. 19- yeah, that was the whole problem in 1999. It, was, it, it didn't, wasn't contained to the valley. That's, like, yes. people forget how ins- – like, first off, anyone saying it's a it, – like, everyone saying – so, one, most people saying it's a bubble weren't around in 1999, so they don't remember what it was like. Two, the people who were around and are complaining about it being a bubble are all the VCs, and they're complaining for this reason because they are personally being hurt. But – they're not uh, getting to offload these speculative investments that, in the long run, that that right, probably the won't VCs- that won't work out. They're like, oh yeah. damn, the public markets aren't aren't buying our shit. Well, we'll it's a bubble. It's sh- terrible. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole the the, the the people forget is the dot com era was one of the greatest eras for VC investment ever, mm. and the reason is because they offloaded it onto mom and pop all over the country, mm. and mom and pop bore the pain. Like the, and everyone else bore the pain, and the VCs actually did well. Did did well in that era, and I'm sorry that you're the one that has to bear the pain now. But actually, no, I'm not sorry. I'm relieved that when and if all these companies that are uh, were primarily invested from a FOMO perspective, a fear mm. of missing out perspective. And this is how people ask me with the title of my piece about the reality missing about. This is what it was this is what it was about. Like I understand making these investments in what seemed to be a second place or a third place person because the market's so big and the off chance that the second place player wins is is worth the chance. But you knew going in it might not work out mm. and now that it may not be working out, don't come crying to me that you weren't mm. able to offload it onto mom and pop to 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 so that you could pocket your gains. I mean, look at Twitter. Like Twitter, I mean, mm. Twitter again. Twitter's mm. problem is, is all Twitter's problem is of its own making. Let's be super clear. And they wasted so many years with internal conflict and strife and not building stuff. The idea that Jack Dorsey could say on the college day that our direct response platform is just getting started when they're a ten-year-old company is ridiculous. Like the company has owns their own problems. But one, the company would certainly better off if they were private. And two, like Fred Wilson made a lot of money on Twitter by selling it at a price that was, I said at the time, what people said at the time, and in retrospect is clear the case, was much more than the company is worth given the the underlying issues of the company. And I don't hear Fred Wilson apologizing for the money he made on Twitter be, and, and the investors who bought the stock from him have now lost 60% of their value. Mm. It's... I'm awake now. No, you you absolutely are, and it's it's good to have you awake because uh, honestly, you know it, it's kind of nuts that when you think about it through the lens of like who's making the money on on the capital and who's losing it, that that the dot com crash isn't more attributed to the VCs basically running off with the money of mum and pop investors. Like 2008 happened, everyone everyone. Like the the narrative is that the the Wall Street bankers basically it it was it was wealth transfer, but it, it really when these companies when the underlying companies 
aren't actually performing when they're not going to make it. That's exactly what this is zero sum economics. And they're complaining that they're not going, they're not getting to, they're not, <laughs> they're not getting to take the money that they think is rightfully theirs. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit galling. Well, I mean, and, I mean, I can understand the angst. I mean, that the, 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 the deal is, I mean, we've talked about this, that VC is not like people complain about VC companies. Oh, it's not fair that VC money, having VC money sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sucks because you have, you have this sort of pressure and you have to perform and you have to grow and then you have to go public. And, uh, it, it, it's, it is interesting. I mean, the, what's happening with Uber is fascinating because the deal Uber made when they took the their initial investment is that you will get this back when we when we go public. And in some respects, Uber is kind of violating that pact, like they 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 are. Um, but it's not a legal like it's not a legal responsibility. And Uber's market is so big, and they're able to get high wealth individuals to write them checks sight unseen because their market is so compelling, like that. They don't have the financial pressure to to go public and to return it, um, and so it's interesting. I mean, Uber Uber is a is a a more a breaker in more ways than just like regulation. Like they're they are from a financial perspective as well, and like so I can understand VC angst, but it, it's it, it I don't know. It's fascinating. It, 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 I, I, I understand it as well, but I, I certainly think that the argument that this is causing damage to our economy <laughs> is probably uh, is probably a, 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 a bow too far. Well, and just in, just far. in general, I mean, I, I actually think it's um, uh, this whole thing where like VCs compete by being like public on on Twitter. Um, mm. <laughs> we could talk about that. Mm. Uh, Get themselves in trouble. Yeah, um, they probably would if those VCs in question are anything to go by. Yeah, well, but I mean th- that's fine. But I, I, I wish the, the the it's so I find it so annoying and galling. Like so many in the tech press just want there to be a bubble so badly. They want they just want to see it, and they have no idea. What, you know who's going to get screwed? Everyone who's depending on this 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 crappy advertising. Uh, yeah, if there's a real bubble like 1999, and the whole economy goes into goes into the crapper. Uh, guess what? You're gonna be you're you're gonna you're, you're gonna not be too happy about that. Um, so just to be clear about what you just said, if uh, uh, you, you skipped a few things in that sentence, are you saying that the journalists are the ones that are gonna get screwed? I'm saying they're gonna be in worse. They're not gonna be. In, mm. I, I would. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're, they're calling for something that's going to result in them, yeah, making life very difficult. Well, for their I mean, a, a, a consequence of advertising being a percentage of GDP is that when GDP goes down, which happens in a recession, so does advertising. So does advertising. It's one of the first things to go down because and, it's very easy to cut. It's easier to cut advertising than it is to cut jobs. Right. Um. And uh. And uh, if you're in a business that right. if you're in a business that depends on advertising, and and your advertising is of the more uh. Uh, shaky type as it is. Uh, yeah, you you're know, gonna but, be but, cutting jobs. But you get this thing where, like, VCs are so fundamentally conflicted when it comes to, to especially this going public sort of thing. And this, and the other thing is, if my th- thesis is right, and that only five unicorns make it, or ten unicorns, whatever, and the other ninety don't. Um, well, as an aggregate, which I'm looking at it from an aggregate perspective, 
yes, the industry's fine. It was a good bet. But from an individual VC perspective, that means most VCs are losing, mm. right? And, and there's such a conflict of interest here, and it just drives me up, like, I just I, I, like net net though. I actually think this is a good thing. Like the people who are making the bets are suffering suffering the results. Whereas previously, totally. previously, this, yeah. I, so it's almost the opposite. It's not just the case that the argument that that Cuban and Co are making that this is destroying the economy. It's actually the opposite, saving it. Yeah, it's it's like you. What's the? Oh, I always forget this. The, the term where moral hazard, you're getting, you're taking the moral hazard out of investing. And I've often wondered about whether this, uh, this, um, so VC funds are typically seven years, right? Like they, they agree to uh, return 10, 10, 10, they agree to return the funds after 10 years. I've often wondered whether that 10 year time horizon is, I mean, I, I know there are reasons for it, but I've often wondered whether it's something that, cre- that is, that is, helping to create these conditions that aren't necessarily beneficial for the economy. I, I think right, they, they push people to go in public. Right. Like too that. soon. Um, and, and I actually think these companies with their longer runway now, it's actually reducing the moral hazard because the people who are making the bats are actually, they're going to have to hold the hand, their hands all the way through to whether, you know, it turns out they have a great hand or it turns out they've gone bust. Right. VCs like to say, oh, we're about long-term investment, blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah. from, if you back up far enough, they're actually more short-term than, mm. than, 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 than other cases. The other, one other thing that, that's interesting too is um, the – I mean this, it's just an anecdote, so I don't mm. want to draw broad lessons. But the last company, the last Uber – when it comes to investing was was Facebook. And people were so annoyed at Facebook for not going public and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and fa- finally Facebook went, went public at around $100 million or $100 billion. Uh, and and they, they struggled. They still struggled. Like uh, the yeah. transition to mobile, they, they went down quite a bit. But now they came roaring back and you've actually made – like a hundred and fifty percent return on your investment if you if you if you bought Facebook in. So like I get I understand the argument. Well, there's there's two problems here. There's one one issue if you want to argue that staying private so long is bad for the economy is this idea that all the gains are being pocketed by private investors and that by the time companies go public, all the growth phase is gone mm. and you're buying like these mature companies that are just that, that, that are just bumbling along and th- i get that. that 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 is fair like there are companies that um uh th- that is i think a valid concern mm. like a, a valid systematic concern that it's impossible for small investors like like you or i to buy into these companies and to re- and to share in their their gains um on on the flip mm. side, uh, one I'm not sure that individual investors should be buying uh, mm. s- small companies. Uh, if you like, if you can't, if, if you're not rich enough to get in somehow into these private rounds, may- maybe you you shouldn't be yeah picking individual stocks. Um, but two, uh, like the truly great companies uh, like a Facebook still get to grow, and if Uber has the potential that we have, they will go public eventually, and. It, it, like if they have the potential that you and I think they do, you will still be able to make make money. Um, so uh, I, I I don't know. I I'm, I, I I can see the argument. Like, I can see sleep. the arguments on both sides. Yeah. I'm, I'm. <laughs> you know what this is reminding me of? This is reminding me of the. Um, it's reminding me of the. 
Paul Graham article a little while back around income inequality and how he approached it from a personal angle. He hears, he hears the conversation about in, income inequality and he feels like a hunter, uh, feels like a hunted animal. And it felt so much like his point of view, like he's such a smart guy and I respect his opinion, but his starting point was so much from his own perspective and he, he was, uh, you know, he, he, like we, we, we ended up coming to the conclusion that if you want to you wanna get a little, you've got to give a little. And it would have rung much more true if he'd been willing to give up carried interest or something like that as part of this. And it, it feels like a lot of these arguments that are being mounted about uh, uh, around this topic kind of carry the same problem, that they're starting so much from the perspective of personal interest. And people are trying to make broader arguments around what's good for the economy. But really, when you strip away the veneer... Yeah, it's like, isn't it convenient that yeah. you're... Your, isn't it convenient how well lined your personal interests are with the public good argument? And and, and this idea that that your interests are the public good, that's kind of what it implies. And that really feels galling to me. Um, and yeah. I, I just I know it's hard to like and it's it's like I'm not I'm not a VC. I don't have all my money invested and I don't have these marais that I feel are being broken and I'm not, I don't have the inv- the LPs breathing down my neck. I get that. But I just wish people were a little bit more um, open to being um, uh, you know, independent in their thought. They were able to detach themselves a little bit when making these arguments because they'd, they'd ring a lot more true and I think people would buy into them a lot more and everyone would benefit from them a lot more if there was just a, a little bit more detachment when they were made. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it, you know, like, to, be, to be clear, I'm not saying that we're um, – I, I, I don't question – that I take people's word for it that the investment climate in Silicon Valley is getting mm. much tougher, and that the, the stock market is clearly down. And there, there certainly is a link between public markets and private markets, and all and all that sort of thing. Mm. And so again, I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that it, people aren't going to struggle, and that companies going out of business will suck, and people will lose mm. their jobs. Uh, and that, and uh, again, not minimizing that at all. But there, that's. That's different than saying that we're in a, a huge bubble and all this sort of stuff. And like, again, it, it, we start at the beginning. Like, we don't have to j- jump to an extreme. There, there can be a, a fine way to look at this. Um, yes, I, I think the. Uh, I thought there was just a fascinating uh, example. Um, this is a, a, a dangerous topic to say mm. the least. But um, speaking of VCs oh, talking, yeah. and uh, I just, I, it was very interesting to me. Um, so there's been this big controversy in in India. About uh, uh, the free basics, which is the internet.org, like Facebook's th- thing to to bring the internet to people who can't afford it, mm. uh, which there are a lot in India, like desperately poor, um, you know, ha- have nothing. And Facebook was partnering with local telecom. They've done this in several countries uh, to bring uh, a number of internet services, including things like Wikipedia and uh, other things, and also Facebook. Um, uh, and the idea is you would get it for free. Uh, the Facebook's argument is uh, one: something is better than nothing. Two: uh, the the big challenge with a lot of these populations they don't realize the transformative nature of the internet for them. And once they do, then they'll be more likely to then start. You know, once they have the capability, one will help them economically, help them get a job, help them all that sort of stuff. But then they'll they'll be more likely to to become customers in the future for the, like the telecom provider mm. and, and increase data usage and get the whole internet. 
Uh, and there's been a a huge amount of pushback uh, in India in particular. Uh, and and the way it's been framed in the here in the in the U.S. in the press in particular is it's net neutrality, mm. and it's not a net neutrality argument. We've talked about this. It's it, this is zero rating. The spirit is the same as net neutrality, but it, like there's not discriminatory treatment of data from a like throttling perspective. It's from a pricing perspective. Uh, in that some data doesn't cost money, and some some data does. Uh, called, called zero rating. Mm. Anyhow, the uh, um, the the this week the regulator ruled against it, mm. and um, Facebook was I was disappointed, and, and and they had been a big PR campaign advertising sort of stuff, um, and uh, and Facebook board member and prominent uh, VC investor uh, Mark Andreessen waded into the fray on Twitter. Uh, his opening salvo was denying world's poorest free partial internet connectivity when today they have none for ideological reasons strikes me as morally wrong. Yeah, I it, uh, I don't know. I, I I take the opposite side of it, but I guess the um, the um, ra- rather than arguing the point of view, which we can, I guess we can get into later on. I just I, I, I it feels a little bit tone deaf that someone who is a board member of Facebook is um, invoking the morality argument when it just so happens that it relates to something that's against his economic interest. Well, well, well let's back, let's back. Okay. So that's that fair enough. I will grant you that. Um, but, but I think, I think, well, here, here's, here's what I think is interesting about this whole thing is um, my, my sense and instinct is, is to broadly agree with Facebook's position. Like, wouldn't it be better you know, it, it's one thing for people who – the people who are protesting do have internet service. And it seems a little rich that they are they are protesting against this uh, when they already have data access on behalf of people who have nothing. And, and indeed, wouldn't it be better if you had nothing to have something instead of – even if it's not everything? I, I mean, I, I, we have touched on this. And it's funny because I actually come out on the other side of the fence here, which is allowing allowing someone to control, someone who has a monetary interest to control what is acceptable or what someone is able to see or not able to see is a very dangerous path to walk down. And it, it, it kind of, it, it, I've spent a bunch of time in China and it's, Again, it's not so much a monetary interest, but it's in someone's interest for people inside a population to see certain things and not see certain things. And you ask people that are over there about Tiananmen Square, and they they think, oh yeah, China, China, yeah, in, in China, in China over there. Sorry, in China, they ask. It's somewhere on the. It's across the ocean. I, you and I both know where China is, and I'm I'm assuming most of our listeners do. But you ask someone in China about Tiananmen Square, and in the West, that that prompts images of that that brave soul standing in front of the tank for most people in china that is uh it's not about that it's just about the geographic landmark and there is there is definitely something to the the um there is definitely something to the point around you want to be very careful letting someone control uh how people get access to information it is incredibly powerful well, well, so the reason the reason why I find found this so interesting is, um, uh, in India specifically, uh, and, and so, 
Um, the, 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 the real controversial tweet was Andreessen Lynch on the effect uh, in an at reply that anti-colonialism has been economically c- catastrophic for the Indian people for decades. Why stop now? <laughs> um, I, I actually wow. – yeah, yeah, wow. I, 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 I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, Mark Andreessen is not in favor of colonialism. Um, mm. He was trying to make a point about right. you know India not – Kind of throwing out capitalism along with the British, uh, you know, um, at least for, for a time period. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, it was not a wise tweet. Yeah, uh, and, but, and to, to but be, what was fascinating. What, what was fascinating. I, I, what I want, but I actually think the problem, the issue here was was that tweet was obviously a problem. But like, note <laughs> what he said in that first tweet about it being he, he invoked morality. Like it strikes me as being morally wrong and that the implication there is like that's an appeal to something greater than 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 yourself or your your arguments. It's the sort of thing we're talking about. It's 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 not just Andreessen's interest as a Facebook board member, but it's Andreessen's position in technology and the assumption of technologists that we talked about that what we do is inherently good. Mm. Technology is inherently good for society, but you don't get to do that. You don't get to sit down and just start with that assumption. You have to make the case. You have to understand people and where they're at and make the case that why it is good. You don't get to make that assumption. And in the case of India specifically, like it's exactly what you said. Like what that's what the British that's what the British did. They came in saying, "Oh, this is good for you. We're helping you." Blah blah blah. And then they ran the place and 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 took all the resources for ages, right? And so that's the context that that this is going down in. Mm. And um, yes, I can sit here as an American who didn't live under the British Raj and say, well, having some internet is better than nothing. But boy, I to invoke morality yeah. to say that to oppose this, you are morally wrong. And not have the context of what the opposition is rooted in, and then to make a comment that amplifies that, like the whole, like so much of the opposition clearly was rooted in what happened with colonialism, and then to associate, like, I mean, obviously, Andreessen regrets it. I'm sure. I actually think it was so damaging. Facebook, you know, India's Facebook's second biggest market. I would not be surprised if he ends up off the board sooner rather than later. Like that's how, yeah, how bad I I think this was. But it's rooted in this. It's rooted in. It's so like you. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. What, right. I mean, well, it, two and, things that and your point that there's just this assumption that, you know, we're the technologists and we're here to save the day. And, you know, I think both of us are, are probably pretty optimistic about this. But just to assume without an understanding of the context, again, it just feels very tone deaf. Well, and but you see this again and again and again. This is the whole point about writing the, the the politics thing, and yes, and the and the Paul Graham thing, and all that. Like, it's on us to make the case for why like robots taking people's jobs is in the long run a good thing because it's not a very good thing for the person who lost their yeah. job. See, it, 
I, 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 there are many criticisms that one might have of Uber, but there is one thing that I very much appreciate about what they did, which is that when they when they go into the city, that, that they've that oftentimes the reason they end up getting support to operate is because they have such grassroots support from all the people on the ground because the service is so good, and when when it's yeah often, they wef- like they do the dirty work they, of politics exactly they are down there on the ground it is. Great grassroots it is we are making an impact in people's lives it's positive you get people on side and oftentimes the resistance is coming from incumbents or politicians that are in the pockets of incumbents and and when they hear that there is this benefit from individuals that they really love this service and they want it to happen because it's making their lives better it's really hard to resist so you can make many criticisms of them but they haven't fallen into that trap Facebook is just it's not the it's not the ground war that Uber's running it's this air war of just we're going to come in and we're going to we're going to we're going to drop we're going to bomb from the skies and everything's going to be better without doing the hard work of getting down there and and really understanding whether whether in the in the minds of the people that they they they're claiming to help whether that those people actually think they are being helped yeah there was such a striking line in in an op-ed that Mark Zuckerberg wrote and Facebook did wage a political campaign to 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 get this to get this approved but there is a striking line in this op-ed uh that that zuckerberg wrote in the times of india mm. and, and this is a quote surprisingly comma over the last year there's been a big debate about this in india it, the implication the implication was how can you not see this is a good thing right how can you not see that we're here to help you and again you i, I can understand facebook's position i i would tend i would tend towards the same position that some internet is better than none but it's like if you want if some like it's on you to understand why people might not want to do that. What is that rooted in? Like it's not net neutrality as we think about in the U.S., which is kind of an academic debate, right? Mm. We haven't actually had our data impinged on. We haven't mm. had people limiting data. It's all theoretical, right? India lived it. Like they lived people controlling information and people saying, "Oh, this will be good for you," and then actually leveraging that into into control. And it's just, it's just like it, there's just a humility that mm. that. It, and again, I I I've made very clear how much I admire Mark Zuckerberg as, as an executive. But but and, and in general, I think he's one reason I think he's more humble than a lot of executives and knows what he doesn't know. But it clearly doesn't extend to, to everything. And 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 this is such an example of not knowing what you don't know and how dangerous that is. And this is why I made the point in Daily Update, like this is why this is one of the many reasons why the diversity thing is such a problem in the Valley. Like there's like, why did, why did Twitter have no idea about the abuse that was happening on the platform for ages? Maybe because the entire leadership is white and male. Mm. Like you just, you don't know what you don't know. And no one person, it's so easy to fall into the trap of, uh, of oh let's all be colorblind let's all be gender neutral like I, I can I, I can think my way through it you can't you just can't there, what you, you and you the reason you can't is you can think your way through all the things you know that you don't know mm-hmm. oh I don't know that thing so let me go mm-hmm. do research about it but what you don't know that you don't know you can't rectify you just don't know it thanks so I it's such a good point, and it pains me to make this joke, but thank you, Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it's like it, it bothers me so much because there's 
it's such a good quote. Like he has a quote. That's where the no, don't know, whatever. It's such a good framework for thinking about the world, and it pains me that it it mm. it, it, it generates a positive association in my yeah, mind. I know. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, good association. Uh, solar. You, uh, not bad. Capital W U, not O W U. Support for uh, this ex- episode of Exponent uh, comes from Wonder Capital with a U, uh, the leading online investment platform that allows you to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. Wonder Solar Investment Funds allow you to earn up to 11% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. With Wonder, you'll achieve monthly cash flows in a fully managed online investment account. And best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for managing your money. Take advantage of Wonder's platform. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com slash exponent. That's Wonder again with a U. Invest in Wonder Capital's solar funds. Do well and do good. Our thanks to Wonder Capital for sponsoring this episode of, yeah. of uh, Exponent. Thanks, guys. Uh, and the, the, the wonderful energy segue into teasing Ben for not drinking enough coffee at the start of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you for uh, uh, delaying it a day and, and forcing me to wake up early. Oh, my pleasure. And again, you didn't even try and guilt me. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. No worries. It's always good chatting. And welcome back. It's good to have you back. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. See ya.